Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for joining me today. The story today is from Norwich in the east of England. It features one of the key themes of this podcast, which is that life can be progressing wonderfully when out of nowhere everything changes in that one split second. And that's what happens today, where one man innocently stumbles on an incident involving people he doesn't know, and how he chose to react to this incident changed everything. I'm delighted that this week's episode is sponsored by Hangman, the new high-concept thriller from the international best-selling author of Ragdoll, Daniel Cole. Have you read it yet? I have, and I couldn't put it down. This book is perfect for us fans of true crime, as well as anyone who loves a gritty thriller. The writing is just fantastic, with quick-witted and pacey dialogue, but don't just take my word for it. Daniel Cole has big fans in this genre, like MJ Arledge, who said of Ragdoll, a brilliant, breathless thriller, and bestseller Rachel Abbott has called Cole a star. Hangman has all the elements you love from fantastic cat-and-mouse thrillers like The Bone Collector. You can't help but keep turning the page as the bodies mount and the brilliantly cool lead character DCIM Lee Baxter races against time to stop the utterly gruesome murderer who always seems to be one step ahead. Hangman is published by Trapeze and is out now in paperback from all good bookshops who of course can be bought online right now. Go and buy your copy of Hangman today. You will love the book and also support this podcast. Thank you. I'd also like to say a big thank you to my supporters on Patreon, whose support allow me to keep producing a weekly podcast, and especially this week's new members of this select group. That's Sarah Cameron, Tracy Ginnity, Steph Bennett and David Spencer. Thank you so much. If you'd like to support the show and enjoy the 21 full-length bonus episodes and other exclusive content, please just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Let's quickly set some context for today's story. Top of the charts on the 28th of September 2008 was Katy Perry with I Kissed a Girl, and she liked it. In the US, Pink was at number one with So What? And in the Australian album charts, it was another of my favourite bands, right up there on excitement with Elbow, and that was the Kings of Leon with their album Repetitive Tedium. Oh, sorry, I misread my notes. The album was called Only by the Night. Awesome. In the news this month, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 777.68 points, its largest single-day point loss, following the bankruptcies of Lehman Brothers and Washington Mutual. In sport, the final home game was played at Yankee Stadium against Baltimore, and in the US Tennis Open, it wasn't a tournament for the underdogs this year with victories for Serena Williams and Roger Federer. The story today is from Norwich, the capital of Norfolk, 
which is around 100 miles northeast of London and famous for its beautiful coastline, the Norfolk Broads, Chef Delia Smith, let's be having you, that one, and one of my favourite Leeds United players of the last 20 years, the brilliant fullback and now pundit Danny Mills. And most notably, of course, the comic genius who is Alan Partridge, who just for the record, I sound absolutely nothing like. Nothing at all, okay? Just for the record. Frank McGarrahan and his family were heading to Norwich to celebrate. They travelled the 80 miles or so from his home in the quiet Hertfordshire village of Much Haddam, with his wife and two young daughters, ahead of the baptism on Sunday of his niece Thea in the city's Roman Catholic cathedral. This was the first child of his brother Kevin, and as families do, they gathered for a meal on the eve of the christening to toast the baby, and the family were all in high spirits ahead of the big day. Frank and his older brother Tony both worked in the banking world, and as the financial crisis continued to grow, they had much to discuss. Frank was the highly paid Chief Operations Officer for Barclays Wealth, managing assets worth over £133 in 20 countries. His rise had been a relatively swift one. The son of a carpenter, he studied law at Southampton University, graduating in 1985. He then worked at Deutsche Bank before joining Barclays Capital, going on to head its wealth division. He had married air stewardess Alison Ogden in 1999, and they lived with their girls Nancy and Grace in a large house, as Frank, who was now aged 45, was at the peak of his career. He was in charge of almost 8,000 members of staff, and he loved his job. Tony was also doing well professionally, and he too was at the centre of events as the financial crisis continued to grow as the interim communications manager for the troubled Bradford and Bingley. After dinner with the wider family, most retired for the evening, including Frank's wife and children who went back to their hotel. But Frank, his brother Kevin and his cousin Sean Ryan decided to have a few more drinks at some of the city bars. And after catching up on each other's knees and having a fun evening, at about 3am, the three men decided to call it a night and headed off to the main taxi rank in the centre of Norwich on Guildhall Hill. I'm sure we've all been there at a taxi rank late on, and it can be quite interesting, can't it? As it's people from all parts of society, usually in a good mood, exchanging laughs, jokes and banter after a night out. But occasionally, and let's not pretend otherwise, it can be a scene of aggression and violence, usually fuelled by drink or drugs. And that was what occurred in the early hours of this morning in Norwich, when Frank, his brother, and his cousin saw a fight begin. In fact, let's call it what it was. It wasn't a fight, but an attack by 12 or so young white men, kicking and beating a 35-year-old homeless man while his girlfriend screamed in absolute terror. Whilst most in the queue watched the unprovoked violence play out, Frank McGarrahan walked the 20 yards to remonstrate with the attackers, closely followed by his brother and his cousin. But that gesture was enough to make him the new target and the young men turned on him. Frank, his brother and cousin were told, it's got nothing to do with you, get out of here or you'll get some too. And then one person suddenly ran over 
and delivered a devastating punch which sent Frank sprawling on the ground. The same man then grasped Kevin McGarrahan in a headlock and repeatedly punched his head. Meanwhile, the first man attacked and punched Frank, who was on his hands and knees in the ground. And after further blows, Frank was unconscious, as was the Lithuanian homeless man, and Sean Ryan wasn't in a good state either. From the door of the Spearmint Rhino Club nearby, Daryl Lawton heard the high-pitched sound of a woman screaming and the thuds and shouts of nighttime violence. Used to coping with brawls in the city, Daryl used a special police scanner to alert officers at the station to focus CCTV cameras on the area before running towards the scene of the violence. There were two men on the ground being attacked, he said. It was fists and feet. It was extreme violence. There was one guy who was very good at using his fists. Piling into the fray, bravely, Dowell grabbed one of the assailants in an arm lock. I was holding on to him, but the other guys laid several boots into my jaw. I had to let go because I was getting such a kicking. Released from his grip and finished with their business, the attackers fled dodging the people milling around the square as they ran off into the night. Unbeknown to him, Darrell Lawton had broken his jaw. But a trained first aider, he tried to help the two men lying prone on the pavement, the Lithuanian man, who was the original victim, and the other man was Frank McGarrahan. One of the men wasn't moving and was quiet, he wasn't breathing, said Darrell. The other man's face was covered in blood, but his hand was moving. I put the man who was quiet and still into the recovery position and started working on him, giving him mouth to mouth until the police arrived. But there was no response, and I knew that there was a big problem here. Unconscious but alive, Frank McGarrahan was taken initially to the local Norfolk and Norwich Hospital, but swiftly transferred to Adambrook's Hospital in Cambridge, to be treated for severe head injuries. The following morning, Father James Walsh, the Dean of Norwich's Roman Catholic Cathedral, received a phone call from a friend of the family, informing him that the 11am baptism of baby Thea at Mass that day would need to be postponed. Instead of a celebration of a new life, tragically, the McGarrahan family were soon to be planning for a funeral as Frank died from a brain hemorrhage at 12.15 the next day in hospital without ever regaining consciousness. Frank McGarrahan was just 45 years old when he lost his life. It was a time when he was professionally at the top of his game, but much more importantly, it was a time in his life when his wife and his two young daughters really needed him. A floral tribute from cab drivers in Norwich was laid at the taxi rank where Frank was murdered. The tribute read, We taxi drivers salute you for your courage and bravery. One who witnessed the attack said, There were a group of people standing around him and someone had put him in the recovery position. I saw one of the men with him sitting on a wall opposite the rank. He had an injury to his face and looked devastated. He was sobbing uncontrollably. I did not realise the seriousness at first because sadly it's not uncommon to see people lying unconscious in Norwich after being beaten up. Gosh, isn't that terrible? What a thing. 
Police were studying CCTV images, which were said to show the attack and also track members of the gang as they fled. Detective Superintendent Chris Hobley of Norfolk Police, who was leading the hunt, said, Frank McGarrahan did not physically try to break the assault up. He just went across and had words with those involved. I can understand what he has done. He's clearly taken a view on somebody suffering an assault. I don't think he would have expected this outcome. He also announced that three men had handed themselves into a local police station where they'd been arrested on suspicion of murder. Two of those men were brothers Tom and Ben Cowles, who lived with their dad in Norwich. When the news was announced that Frank had died, they both knew it was just a matter of time before they were arrested, and so gave themselves up. Both admitted taking part in the attack, and said they'd reacted after being called cowards. They both had a history of violence, underpinned by using their boxing prowess gained after years of training. Both failed to miss a training session at Norwich Lads Club for almost two years and achieved some success with Tom named the club's young boxer of the year in 2000 and 2001, whilst Ben was Eastern County's champion in 2000. A former coach said, They had great potential and boxing is a good way for people to keep discipline in their lives. But then Ben suffered an injury and about and started getting headaches, so he had to quit. And he and his brother were so close that after that Tom lost interest and he just didn't want to carry on fighting after that. But an indication that what they had learnt might not just be used inside the confines of the boxing ring came in 2001 when Tom received a warning for common assault. In 2004, Ben was reprimanded for a similar offence. Both men had had unexceptional academic careers at a local mixed comprehensive school and Ben ended up working as a pipe fitter while his brother became the builder. But rather than buckle down with these solid trades to build a life, they were still more interested in going out with their mates for drinks and fighting as part of the territory. Their boxing skills undoubtedly helped and gave them kudos with their mates as they were clearly a world apart from your average drunken Friday night scrapper after a few pints of lager. Shortly before the deadly assault, Tom bragged on Facebook about his drinking and holidays of excess in Ibiza and disturbingly listed his favourite phrase as one went bang, two fell over. Oh God, really? The similarities and also the contrast with Frank McGarrahan were clear to see. Frank and his killers both came from humble backgrounds but their lives moved in very different directions whereas the Cowles enjoyed the buzz of violence and fighting. School friends of Frank spoke of a peacemaker, a boy who always broke up fights. One ex-schoolmate of his said, most kids would clap and shout when there was a fight, but Frank, he was different. He would defuse the situation. He had a disarming, authoritative way about him. 21-year-old Ben Cowles and his brother Tom, 22, admitted the manslaughter of Frank McGarrahan on the day a murder trial was due to start. Until then, they claimed they'd been attacked and were just defending themselves. Defence lawyers said the brothers came from a good family and were not, quote, young thugs. Michael Hubbard QC for Tom Cowles said that he is, all this apart, a thoroughly splendid young man. And for Ben Cowles, he suggested there'd been provocation 
and the brothers had been called cowards. Hubbard said there was fault on both sides, also mentioning that Frank was two and a half times the legal drink drive limit. But Mark Dennis, prosecuting, said the McGarrahans and Sean Ryan had approached with caution, had shown no aggressive intent, and had been attacked without provocation. Dennis said they'd intervened after witnessing a group of youths attacking a man of down-and-out appearance. In the circumstances we submit, they bravely intervened where many others would have stepped back, he said. The court saw the CCTV footage of the incident, captured by a number of city centre cameras. It clearly showed the three men approached with non-aggressive intent. None of this fault on both sides, as claimed by the QC of the Cowles. Dennis said they were met with abuse, with one of the youths trying to justify the attack on the down-and-out looking man by saying, you don't know what he has done, he has got just what he deserved. Dennis said that Kevin McGarrahan had then called the group of youths cowards. He told the court, but after that, both men took part in an unnecessary and joint attack on Frank McGarrahan, his brother and his cousin. The judge said that deciding to accept a plea of guilty to manslaughter must have been very difficult for the McGarrahan family and prosecuting lawyers, but added that it was a sensible decision. Ben Cowles was given seven and a half years in prison and Tom Cowles just seven years. The judge told the court, The sentence I'm going to pass will undoubtedly be criticised as being lenient. All I can do is to emphasise in terms of the authorities, this sentence is at the top of the bracket, and deliberately so. People have to learn that if they go out and get drunk and indulge in violence on the streets, they may kill people. If they do, they need to know that long sentences will follow. The public are entitled to expect that the courts will do all they can to make our streets safe for ordinary people to go out and enjoy themselves. He said that neither brother had actually set out to kill that evening. In a separate earlier trial, another member of the cowardly gang, Daniel Moy, aged 22, a carpenter, admitted hitting Frank's cousin Sean Ryan, who was in his 40s, and was ordered to pay £50 compensation and carry out 100 hours of unpaid work. Frank's wife, Alison, said in a victim impact statement that her life had been changed beyond belief. Nothing is normal anymore in our lives. Nothing will ever be the same again, she said. And Frank's brother Tony said, This sentence is quite frankly disgracefully low. Seven and a half years for killing someone is appalling. I was called on the government to review sentencing guidelines. There is a sense of devastation over what happened to my brother. His death has destroyed us and ripped our family apart. He has left behind a wife and two young children who will never know their father. That night, Frank did nothing to warrant being killed. All we were trying to do was to help a man in trouble. We'll always be proud of Frank and we'll never ever forget him. He was a fantastic dad to his two young beautiful daughters, a loving husband to his wife Alison, a big-hearted son to his mum and dad, and a brilliant brother and uncle. He was simply a great family man. And the Lithuanian man attacked by the gang first spoke about his eternal thanks for Frank's actions, which he felt undoubtedly saved his life. If not for Frank, I wouldn't be alive, he said. I will always remember what he did. So what do you make of what we've heard today? 
Sadly, any of us who've been in any town or city centre in the UK will not be surprised. A quick search online shows any number of similar incidents. For example, at a taxi rank in Hastings, Sussex, last year, 60-year-old Brian Hill was murdered and his 53-year-old brother severely injured after being attacked at their local taxi rank by two local louts, 25-year-old Elliot Bourdon-Pierre and 22-year-old Matthew Smith. 60 and 53, that was their ages. After a night out in Hastings, the Hill brothers met Smith and Bourdon-Pierre, who clearly wanted to start a fight, and a taxi rank police said. Brian Hill was punched and fell to the pavement, hitting his head, and he died in hospital from his injuries the following day. Andrew was also treated in a hospital for broken ribs, and injuries to his lungs and kidneys. The police said the combination of alcohol and Smith and Bourdon Pierre looking for trouble tragically ended in Brian losing his life and his brother Andrew suffering serious physical and mental injuries. The pair claim self-defence. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But the jury of course saw through this after reviewing the evidence. In a statement, Andrew Hill spoke of the impact of the assault, saying, My mental health has deteriorated since what happened. I no longer trust anyone and I don't go out. And Brian Hill's three children said that their dad would drop everything to help his family. The severity of his death has shocked the entire family to its core and it'll be something we never get over. Just so, so familiar. And all these men like Brian Hill and Frank McGarrahan continue to lose their lives due to no fault of their own. We surely shouldn't be the sort of society where normal people are anxious about getting a taxi home late at night in a town or a city centre. But we are, and what we do about it, I've got absolutely no idea. Have you? And what of the Cowles brothers, now free men again? I wonder if their time in prison changed them, and they've now moved away from the casual violence. Do they still think about the events of the night Frank was murdered? Do they regret their role in the incident? And have they contacted Frank's family to express their remorse? I wonder. And meanwhile, the devastated friends and family of Frank McGarrahan have to try to move on with their lives after the utterly pointless murder of a man who had so much to offer. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this case and any other aspect at all of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group. There are 1,700 of us there and you'll be very welcome. To support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime where you can access 21 full-length bonus episodes, plus make yourself feel better, plus make me feel better, and access other exclusive content. So that is all from me for today. So until we speak again next week, it is cheerio. And remember, from taxi ranks in town centres, to the sexy saunas of Rochdale, to, well, wherever else you may venture, always stay classy. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.